You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Nicole Ackman's interview with the director of Misbehavior, Philippa Lofort. Last year, a hundred million people tuned in live to Miss World, more viewers than for the moon landings or the World Cup final. Beautiful, darling. Mum, don't. You and your sisters used to love playing Miss World. We also like to eat our own snot. They must have no defects. And if they're not pretty much 36, 24, 36... Come on. The curves won't be in the right places. But we really believe beauty isn't just skin deep. The girls also get marks on charm, grace, deportment. Swimsuits. Miss World rehearsals are underway. Alphabetical order, come on, Yugoslavia. What are you doing up here? That's A. I'm the first black South African to take part. I'm the first Miss Grenada. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Bob Hope. The last time Bob guested on this show, he brought the winning girl home with him. (laughs) (laughs) They're turning oppression into spectacle. Let's make a spectacle of our own. We'd infiltrate the theater. We've just been smoking and watching like in a heist film. If I win, there will be little girls who might start to believe they have a place in the world. We're black. We're not going to be Ms. World. You don't own me. It's not you we're angry at. I look forward to having your choices in life. But it's all just flash bulbs in your face. Not so many flash bulbs for me. I don't want you to think I'm some kind of brute that doesn't consider the feelings of women. I consider feeling women all the time. Get this. Tonight may be the start of something, Bob. This competition makes us compete with each other and makes the world narrower for all of us in the end. Why should any woman have to earn her place in the world by looking a particular way? You don't. He doesn't. Why should we? Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. I'm Nicole Ackman. I'm here with Philippa the director of Misbehavior. So how have you been doing in quarantine? What have I been doing? I've been finishing off um, a wonderful television project for HBO called The Third Day. And it's screening at the moment, actually. It's it's two trilogies, um, one with Jude Law, as the lead and then my one has the wonderful actress Naomi Harris as my lead it's very mysterious and scary and set on a strange island in the UK oh fantastic that's exciting uh well I really enjoyed misbehavior I absolutely loved it and I was curious what drew you to this story I just thought it was just the most amazing story. I was only a little girl in 1970, so I wasn't really aware of anything to do with the women's liberation movement or the fact that the first black woman won that competition. And when Suzanne Mackey um, introduced me to this story, uh, I just thought this was the most fantastic opportunity to explore two groups of very, very young, strong women um, coming from different points of view and meeting on this fateful day where the young feminists decided to invade the stage of this of this beauty pageant. <laughs> just, I just thought it was a great story because it combines humour and fun and the energy of young people, but also with 
feminist politics and uh, racist, racist politics, racism and um, apartheid. And that particular event seemed to be like a lightning conductor for protests back then. Um, and it, yeah, it just seemed like a, a brilliant terrain for story, for a story. Absolutely. And did you try to kind of recreate specific moments or costumes or anything like that from the Miss World competition based on footage or photos of it? Yes, we did a huge amount of research because it was a true story. Um, we spoke um, at great length to the, co- the the women who you see in the film, um, the, the, the um, Sally Alexander and Joe Robinson and the women who are the feminists, the young feminists. And we also spoke to Jennifer Hoston at great length and Pearl Janssen. And they gave us so much material about the time and what their attitudes were. And also we looked into all the wonderful archive that's of the real competition that you can, you can see it on YouTube actually. Um, and the costume designer and the makeup designer were really inspired by the real costumes of the time um, and all the real hairdos. And it's, it was uh, it's such a joy to be able to recreate those, those looks and you know the fashions are pretty cool in 1970 absolutely that's so cool and you know talking about you were directing this movie that's based on these real people who are still alive today i know you've also done some work on the crown what is that like as opposed to working on a period piece that's you know maybe based on fictional characters or based on people who have long since passed away is it kind of more of a challenge not really i i've done because i started off as a documentary maker I've always been really interested in telling real-life stories, and most of the filming and directing that I've done is with real-life stories, um, and often very hard-hitting stories like Three Girls, um, which was about the Rochdale grooming case. I think that's on Netflix at the moment. It was a BBC Mm. thing. So I'm very used to doing real-life stories, um, and you, you have to. I think you have to just use the same. Um, duty of care to your um, subjects of your film, whether they are alive or dead, actually, you know, you know, even in The Crown, we were so scrupulous with the research and, you, you know, you did so much investigating to build those stories. And the same in this behaviour, you know, even it's not a documentary, it is a drama. So we do have invented scenes in there, but Everything is inspired or based on something real or true, um, and I think that that's really, really important when you do when you do tell stories inspired by, you know, the truth. I, I definitely appreciated that as someone who studied history at university. Oh. <laughs> um, I thought it was really great to kind of look at it and see how much of it truly, you know, came from the truth, which I thought was amazing. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Is there anything, whenever you were doing the research, that you found that really surprised you? I think what surprised me um, was, I think it was really. When you think of feminism in the 1970s or 1970, you can think of these very sort of earnest, very serious people who, you know, there's a cliche, isn't there, about that kind of feminism, women wearing dungarees and being very, very sort of cross and earnest. But what I found when I spoke to the women who 
decided to invade the stage and make that direct action, they were so young and they were they were inventing women's liberation as they went along. There wasn't a kind of map for them. Nobody drawn a sort of set of rules. They were absolutely at the forefront of creating what those demands were and what was important to them. And like Sally Alexander always said, she just says we were making it up as we went along. We we didn't know how it would turn out. And I think that was really interesting because you think you think back at those times and you think they must have known more or, or whatever, but they were just so young. <laughs> and I think what they did was really brave. So when I was speaking to them and they're all in their seventies now, you know, how how brave they were as young women to stand up and and fight for their rights um and um, and you know for people like me that made it possible for me to perhaps go to university and then you know and become a director i think if those women hadn't done that that, that then you know we, we wouldn't be where we are today even though there's a long way to go still you see what i mean there's still a long way to go Absolutely. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I thought that it was very interesting that some of the things that we see these women fighting for and discussing in the film, from the issues to kind of the generational divide that uh, Sally Alexander has with her mother, are things that women are continuing to fight for today. And was that something that you sort of deliberately wanted to highlight within the film? Yes, definitely. I think, it, I, I think the film is one of very many different perspectives. It has the young feminist perspective and it has the older mother perspective and both have really valid points to make it also has the point of view of the contestants and that was really really important to us that we didn't just make a film about the feminists but that we made a film about Jennifer Hoston and Paul Janssen and the other contestants who used that beauty pageant to advance themselves and to take an opportunity there were so few opportunities for women in those days that you had to grab the opportunity where you could. And I think that that was also really interesting to not judge each person's point of view, but to lay it out in front of us for the audience to make up their mind or to see how complicated it, it is, really. I also think it's a really special piece in how it sort of addresses that so much of feminism, both at the time and I think even now, is very centered around uh, the white experience. And, you know, there's that great scene in between Keira Knightley and Guma Batha Ra, where they sort of address that uh, they're sort of ignoring that some of these contestants are really making strides for 
women of color and black women specifically. And I, I really like that the film actually addresses that straight on because it is something that we're seeing more of, I think, in modern feminism today. I think that's so true. I, and I think that was the other reason why we really wanted to make this film, because it was a perfect opportunity to look at that and to celebrate that achievement. I mean, that was, you know, for Jennifer to get on that stage, and she'd tell you herself, but for her to get on that stage and hold her head up high when she knew there was a sort of bubble of racism around her and to win and to turn those ideals of Western beauty on their head in one fell swoop was an incredible achievement. And not only that, um, Pearl Janssen, Miss Miss Africa South, came second so it was it was two black women in the forefront there and that was an extraordinary event really and and one which we wanted to celebrate for those reasons absolutely I also think it's very special that this film which is so much about women and about different types of women was also you know written and directed by women was that something that you were sort of cognizant of whenever you were making it oh definitely Definitely. I mean, it's very, very hard to get to direct a film if you're a woman. It it has been. And I think for younger generations than me, I hope it's going to be easier. Um, and But we were very conscious that we were a, um, an, a, really an all-female team apart from one of our HODs. They were all women. And it's, you know, often you get, yeah, you're starting to get crews being more diverse ethnically and gender-wise. But it's not that often that you get films made by women, you know, run by women. So the, the, the head honchos are also women. Mm-hmm. Our, our two producers were women. And, and, and that was a, an enormous pleasure. And also when we were, had the, you know, we were creating our team, we, we made sure that it was a very, very diverse team. Um, and that was, that was a, a really good thing to do. It was, it was a, a, a very nice atmosphere. Um, very egalitarian and encouraging from, you know, to, to, from the, from the youngest runners to the, you know, to some of our older, really experienced crew members. That's so great to hear. I think you can really feel in the film that it's from a female perspective. I also have to ask, you know, Kira Knightley and Guggen Mabatharar are sort of two of the queens of period drama. So what was it like getting to direct them? Oh, it was so exciting. I've always been a huge fan of both Kira and Gugu. And to get to work with them was just absolutely awe-inspiring. They're both incredibly clever women and both political. They both are very interested in politics. And, and that, I think, is what drew them to doing this project. And, and they, they were brilliant fun to work with. And, you know, their performances are beautiful, really, really passionate and sensitive and, and also funny because it's, it's, we, it's a really nice thing to not take ourselves too seriously as well. And I think Kira particularly enjoyed the humour of Sally and, and the scrapes that she got into as well. I, I think she, she really enjoyed that aspect of it. I was going to say, I do think it's it's a lot funnier than we typically get to see Kira be in a lot of the type of movies that she does. So I really enjoyed that aspect oh, of it. Oh, so do I. I think she's really funny. <laughs> and I, that was a very nice thing. Cause I, haven't, I haven't seen her do that kind of performance very much. And I think that was one of the things that attracted mm-hmm. her to the to playing Sally. I mean, Sally in, in real life is one of the most inspiring women I've met. She's super brainy and but also have this delicious 
a sort of self-deprecating sense of humour that we wanted to capture in the script. And I think Kira definitely caught that mixture of shyness and intelligence and also that kind of self-deprecating humour and getting things wrong, you know, being really human. Awesome. Well, that is all that we have time for today. But thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I absolutely love this film. To everyone listening to the podcast, definitely make sure that you check out Misbehavior. And thank you so much. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you. And have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Nicole Agman's interview with the director of Misbehavior, Philippa Loforp, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on Megaphone, Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, wherever podcasts are listened to. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Right.